Hello, friends. Welcome back. This is episode 10 of Surviving to Thriving with Megan. I'm your host, Megan Chida. And for this episode, we are going to be talking about spiritual abuse. So spiritual abuse is a complicated topic because everyone's religious beliefs are different. Everyone typically thinks that their beliefs are the correct ones. And many abuse survivors have had religion used against them at some point, either by their abuser directly or also sometimes as secondary abuse. Um, sometimes that's called double abuse by their church or families. And um, I'll leave a link to that in my show notes, but basically that's when religion is used against somebody after you're going to them for help. A lot of times victims end up leaving the church altogether due to some of this abuse. Um, So Dr. Lisa Oakley and Justin Humphreys wrote a book called Escaping the Maze of Spiritual Abuse, and they define it as a form of emotional and physical abuse characterized by systematic pattern of coercive and controlling behavior in a religious context. It's deeply damaging on those who impact or deeply damaging impact, excuse me, on those who experience it. Now, there's blogs, podcasts, and and like whole foundations devoted just to the topic of religious abuse. But what I'm going to talk about is the markers of spiritual abuse within an abusive relationship. Now, again, we're talking about that um, toxic relationship, whether it's with family, partners, friends, um, spouses, siblings, parents, children. Um, The markers are coming mostly from Sarah McDougall's, her red flags chart. I really like the way she sets things up and how she uh, talks about the characteristics of abuse. And a lot of the examples that you'll hear me refer to are from Patrick Weaver Ministries. And he has a foundation that um, helps bring clarity to women that are survivors of domestic abuse. Um, So keep in mind that some of the truths or half-truths or false applications of scripture, you know, I'm speaking mostly from a former uh, Christian perspective. And so that's my own, you know, religious perspective. Um, And But keep in mind that this can happen in any religion, any denomination, any world religion, Basically, it's using beliefs to coerce and abuse. We see this a lot in Christianity. We see this a lot in Islam. We see it uh, in various religions throughout the world. Um, Some of the statements that you'll hear me say might seem true within the scope of a healthy relationship, but they don't apply to an abusive one. So some of those things, um, characteristics of spiritual abuse, the first one is uses beliefs to their own advantage. And what this can sound like is things like God hates divorce. Adultery is the only biblical cause for divorce. God didn't say marriage would be easy. Suffering for Christ's sake is our Christian duty. Using some of those beliefs to gain advantage. Leveraging convictions to shame you into compliance. Now, this is using your convictions to make you feel bad so that you'll do what the abuser wants you to do, such as staying in the marriage or submitting to them like prayer changes things. Love covers a multitude of sin. You need to take responsibility for your own part. There's two sides to every story. 
God commanded us to carry carry each other's burdens. God will punish you for breaking your covenant. Who God joined together, let no man separate. A lot of leveraging to shame you into compliance. And remember, this is to coerce and control. This is not within the scope of a healthy relationship. This is not within the scope of a loving, functional relationship. This is used to manipulate, to control, and to gain compliance. Exploiting your conscience and loyalty for their own gain, such as let's say you, you, um, let's say they cheated or you catch them looking at things they shouldn't be and, um, they, they need to defer blame and they need to, um, find a way to gain the advantage. They'll say things like, love endures all things. You have to forgive and keep no record of wrongs. We've all sinned and fallen short. You must forgive 70 times seven times. Your relationship with God will suffer if you leave the marriage. So again, we're using our conscience. We're using the religion to control somebody else and what they do. Flips blame if you feel, fail, excuse me, fail to meet your own standards. So what did, those are things like, what did you do to cause me to behave that way. Well, I wouldn't have done this if you weren't so controlling. Well, I, if you submitted like God commanded, then I would change. If you submitted to me and if you respected me and if you gave me the things that I need in the marriage, then I wouldn't have done this X, Y, Z. So we're flipping the blame in order to avoid accountability or even if, you know, you fail to meet your own standards, such as if you are trying to hold them accountable, then we'll say things like, well, you need to forgive leverages spiritual leaders against spouse. Now, this can look like um, pastoral counseling, indicating that you lack faith. Um, the counts, A lot of times you have pastoral or parochial counselors, again, the person in the pastoral position, indicating that you lack the faith, that you need to submit to your husband. You need to give it to God. You can't participate in church ministry if you divorce. If you don't do X, Y, Z, um, then you're not then you're not submitting to your husband. Um, so you're leveraging, you're leveraging this, this spiritual standard against the spouse. Also leveraging spiritual leaders can sound like a husband or a spouse or a partner saying, if you don't do this, this or that, then I'm going to tell the church leaders that you're doing this, this or that, or that you're refusing to do this or that. So, you know, for instance, in my relationship, that sounded like, if you don't let me sit by you in church, I'm going to tell the church leaders that you drink on the weekends or things like that. It would be a matter of, if you don't let me do whatever I want, I'm going to tell the church leaders and they're going to believe me and they're not going to like you. And that tactic of fear, which sounds crazy now, but when you're in the moment, those kinds of things work. Um, that's exactly what they do because you're afraid. You're afraid of what's going to happen. You're afraid of the judgment. And it's all in this culture of fear. Controls or dictates your liberty. That can include demanding your submission in a way that means all your beliefs or spiritual practice or your involvement must be approved by your husband. So, You'll see this particularly drawn out in various cults, um, the ILBP movement, the shiny happy people that everybody saw on Amazon that was 
sweeping through the ratings, there was a lot of a spiritual abuse embedded in there, using beliefs to guilt people into compliance, using beliefs to make sure people were behaving a certain way to not only further their religion, but also give the men the power. Um, I guess I really like the way that Patrick Weaver states it, and he says, not one, not even one of the above statements is biblically applicable or related to an abusive marriage. Every scripture in the Bible has context. There's no context that binds an abuse victim to an abuser, not one. Spiritual abuse is real. So if you've experienced any of these dynamics by your partner or your friends or your family, I encourage you to seek out some resources to gain clarity about the characteristics of spiritual abuse and what to do about it. As your self-proclaimed resource warehouse, I've posted a lot of um, valuable information for your journey. Please visit my blog. I will leave that in the show notes. I've got extensive notes there. Um, and we've got, I've got websites, I've got articles, I've got other podcasts that really kind of shed some light on what spiritual abuse is, what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like. As always, you're not crazy. You're not alone. You deserve healthy love and you're safe here. Thank you for listening.